a few weeks ago, I was uh, in second set, worship, response time, ran to the bathroom, like so many of us have to do after drinking coffee, right? And I went down there, bumped into a friend of mine um, in the bathroom, and I've known her a number of years in our community, and we only really ever see each other in the bathroom. And so we joked about the fact that we have a bathroom anointing for our friendship, and then she said, do you have a few moments? So I was like, well, sure. So we, we stepped aside and she said, do you remember a few weeks ago, you preached a sermon and you gave a prophetic word about someone with nightmares? And I knew exactly what message she was referring to. It was a sermon that I'd given prior to this sanctuary being opened. So we were recording in the fellowship hall downstairs. There's about 40 people in the room, but the rest of y'all were just kind of, uh, you know, watching online. I said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that message because that week I had been sitting in my backyard and I said to the Lord, God, is there anything you want to do on Sunday? Really specifically. And, um, and this, is why, this is why I love the prophetic. This is why I love just listening to God's voice and saying, Jesus, what are you doing? And I heard him say, nightmares. So I shared that word at the end of that sermon, and I specifically prayed that nightmares would be broken off of people in Jesus' name. She said to me, she said, prior to that sermon, I have been experiencing months of nightmares to the point that I just felt like I maybe needed to get help. I didn't know what to do. And she's like, Ruthie, since you prayed that prayer, I have not had one nightmare. And I was like, this is, this is awesome, I love this. I love stories of when God does these kinds of things. And these things are happening in our community all the time and it's important that we share them because it builds our faith. But this is what I loved about this conversation. She said, um, you know, I was watching from home in my apartment and I didn't really know if it was gonna work. And I joked with her because I was like, I know exactly what you mean. Because this whole like digital thing, like preaching to people that are not in the room, like does this thing work? And when I say this thing, I mean the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I hear testimonies like hers, I can confidently say that there are no boundaries to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter whether you're watching in a screen. It doesn't matter whether it's your first time here. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you don't qualify. Whatever you feel like that distance is, the Holy Spirit is at work. And what I loved about her story was, even though she was like, I'm not even really sure if this kind of works through the screen, she postured herself to receive. She said, okay, God, I'll give this is for me, I want it. And God did a miracle in her life. And church, I wanna challenge you that that is exactly how we wanna approach today. How we wanna approach this message and our time with God and frankly, our lives. Postured to receive whatever God is doing. So on that note, let's turn to Mark 4. There are Bibles in front of you. It's going to be up on the screen. Mark 4, verse 21 through to verse 34. He said to them, this is Jesus speaking, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. 
All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're already at work, that we are just stepping into a moment this morning that you have pre-prepared for us. Lord, we might be here this morning feeling out of place, distracted, disappointed. But I thank you, Jesus, that there is not one corner of this room that you can't walk over to and touch us and find us. Just sense that the Holy Spirit, even right now as we open up this morning, just sense the Holy Spirit is literally going to the corners of the room, that there may have been some of you that came in here this morning and you felt, I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna sit maybe on the edge or at the back or in the far corners because I just feel, I feel that in my soul. And I just wanna encourage you this morning that Jesus is like, I know exactly where you're sitting. I know exactly what you're carrying. I know exactly how you feel. And his desire is to meet with you. Thank you, Jesus. I just sense a, this is weird, guys, because I haven't preached yet, but I just really sense like, just sense of freedom in this space this morning that God is so excited that you are here. Some of you are here for the first time. Some of you have come in with really heavy things and it's been a week and you're like, almost didn't make it here today. Just sense the spirit of Jesus is so excited. Thank you, God, that you are so excited to meet with us, to heal us, to restore us. Open your word in Jesus' name, amen. I don't even do that, guys. I don't even do that at the beginning of the service. But Jesus is doing something good and um, I'm just excited for what he's gonna open up to us today. If you've been following along with us, first three chapters of Mark that we've been going through, we have been watching Jesus show us what the kingdom of God looks like. He actually says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe in the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus spends these, these three chapters showing us what the kingdom looks like. It looks like healing. It looks like deliverance. It looks like him going to the margins and the people that feel on the outside and drawing them in and saying you have dignity and value and you belong here. Jesus has been showing us. And now in Mark 4, Mark shifts to telling us what Jesus taught us about the kingdom. He showed us the kingdom and he taught us about the kingdom. This is the longest section in the book of Mark where Jesus is teaching. And once again, Mark kind of changes pace here. Again, if you've been following, you'll know that Mark moves very quickly through action scenes. But whenever he changes pace, it should alert us to read the scripture and pay attention. This is a long section where Jesus is speaking to us. God, what do you want us to see? 
Last week, Dave opened up chapter four with the parable of the sower, and this almost feels like a part two to that sermon, because once again, we're in the parables. And this morning, I wanna unpack three things that I believe that Jesus is trying to communicate to us through these strange, obscure stories. Number one, the first thing is the kingdom of God is revealed. Jesus says in verse 21, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? This is a tricky verse if you don't take a moment to go back and study it because this translation isn't super helpful. If you read it in the Greek, it literally translates to does the lamp come in order that it might be placed under the bowl or under the bed. So in essence, what happens here is the object, the lamp is personified, because lamps don't just come in, right? I mean, I've moved a few times in San Francisco since I've lived here these last 20 years. Generally, I have to pick up my own stuff, put it in a truck, drive it to my house, bring it out. I don't just call on all my furniture to come with me. Like lamps don't just come into a room, someone has to bring it in. In the Old Testament, a lamp is often used as a metaphor for God or the coming Messiah. Additionally, Mark uses the lamp, not a lamp. This is not an ordinary lamp. He's talking about the lamp that has come. There are some clues here in the language. Jesus is referring to himself. He is the lamp in this parable. He is the embodied kingdom of God. And that kingdom and his ministry has not come to be shoved under a bed or hidden under a bowl. It's come to be seen. And though in this point in his ministry, people don't quite understand what he's about, it is all gonna be revealed. You see, the kingdom of God is revealed in the person of Jesus It's how we see clearly. God is in the business of revealing himself and his kingdom to us. You see, God wants to be known. Have you ever thought about that? God knows us, but God also wants to be known. He wants to be seen and felt and heard. He wants the things of his kingdom to be known. Now, you might sit here this morning and say, well, that's great, but why does Jesus keep talking in parables that feel like riddles if he's so committed to being known? Well, let's just reflect on that for a moment. Eugene Peterson has a great quote. He says, Jesus' favorite speech form The parable was subversive. Parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about soil and seeds, meals and coins and sheep, bandits and victims, farmers and merchants, and they are wholly secular. Of his 40 or so parables recorded in the Gospels, only one has its setting in church, and only a couple mention the name God. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God. So there was nothing in them threatening their own sovereignty. They relaxed their defenses. They walked away perplexed, wondering what they meant. The stories lodged in their imagination and then like a time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected hearts. An abyss opened up at their very feet. He was talking about God and they had been invaded. Dave shared this last week as he introduced us to parables, is this idea that Jesus would use very simple, ordinary stories to speak deep, deep supernatural truths. 
He would use things that felt very non-threatening, tell a story, and for those that were ready to receive, there was like this moment of like, oh, I get it, but for those that were not ready to receive, those that were not postured towards Jesus and towards the kingdom, it would just go over their head. This is the mystery and the beauty of the parables. For those that were postured, much like the lady with the nightmares, to receive, though she didn't quite understand, say, okay, I'm ready, I think I want this, I wanna learn more. To those, the secrets were revealed, but to people that didn't care and didn't want it, it just kind of went right past them. See, the heart condition matters. The soil of our soul matters when we hear the stories of God's kingdom. See, the goal was always revelation. God wants to be known. Over the past few years, I have periodically led these like, small little coaching groups, small groups of people, teaching them how to hear God's voice. It's one of those things that I think we need to talk about more in church because it's impossible to experience an intimate relationship with Jesus if we don't know how to discern his voice. So I'd spend time with these groups and we talk about well, what, does it, what does it mean? Where do we see in scripture that we as God's children hear his voice and recognize his voice? And week one of these groups is always called God is a communicator. God is a communicator. And we would begin to unpack from Genesis to Revelation just how desperately God wants us to know him. I mean, from Genesis with creation and everything just pops open. We've got light and beauty and the things on the earth and all around us. God is telling us something about himself. And then in Genesis, he walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. And we look through scripture, all these places where God's telling us something about himself. God wants to be known. Just a few days ago, actually, over the dinner table, I sat with my boys, seven and 12. I was like, okay, pop quiz. Tell me all the different ways that Jesus speaks in the Bible. God speaks to us in the Bible. God communicates to us. And they start throwing out all these crazy stories, you know, through the mouth of a donkey and riding on the wall and all of this stuff. And at the end of it all, I say, God wants to be known. God is a generous communicator. He wants to speak to us through a variety of ways. You see, the kingdom of God is revealed. It's not, the goal is not to hide it and tuck it away. God wants us to see and to hear and to know. I mean, that sounds great, but maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, why then does God feel so distant? I mean, I have tried to lean in, and I, I don't know. It just seems like God isn't that kind of God to me. Maybe you relate to that. A number of years ago, I had a friend. He was a Las Vegas magician. <laughs> and... Um, Back in my single days, we won't go down that road. But anyway, um, <laughs> he was a Las Vegas magician. His name was Dustin. And uh, Dustin was also a Jesus follower. So he would go to Vegas, go to the strip, and he would do these magic tricks with cards. And as he did them, tourists would come over and he would just begin to share Jesus with them, share about his life. It was a pretty cool ministry. And at the time, Dustin and I knew each other, and he would practice these, these card tricks on me. And of course, anytime someone does one of those tricks, and not like, not like cheesy, like, I, I just saw what you did, but like a legit magician, I, he'd just be like, he'd know what card I was thinking, or he'd pull something out of somewhere. Be like, I'm just like sitting there, like stunned. What, what do we always say to people, right, when, when those kind of things happen? How did you do that? 
How did you do that? I said, Dustin, how on earth is that possible? Like, I'm watching your hands. So how did you do that? And I'd be like, can you tell me? Like, tell me what's the secret. And you know what he said to me every time? No. <laughs> no. Because he's like, Ruthie, the nature of my whole work, magic, it's about deception. It's about concealing something. I don't want you to know what's going on behind the scenes. The whole goal is to deceive you. You see, church, I want to suggest that if we got real honest this morning, excavated our soul just a little bit in places of disappointment, pain and confusion, some of us feel like God is more like a Las Vegas magician than a generous communicator. We think that God is holding all the cards and ready to trick us and tease us and is kind of playing with us on a string a little bit. And just as we feel like we're starting to get into this Jesus life and we're starting to understand God, he's like, boom, surprise, tricked you. We feel like God is withholding from us, enticing us to believe him put our hope in him, and then suddenly we'll pull a card out of his arm and say, Psh, it was all a trick. But you see, that is not the God that we read about in scripture. It's not the God we believe in. Jesus actually was an incredible truth teller. I mean, he didn't have to be. He could have been a magician, with all of his power and insight and wisdom, he could have told us all these crazy stories just to show how incredible and powerful he was. But he didn't do that. He told us truths about the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is revealed in Jesus. He showed us that God could have written stuff in the sky and just hoped that we figured it out, but actually he said, no, it's, it's too valuable. I'm gonna have to send my son to show you what it looks like and to tell you what it looks like because I want you to know me. I'm a God that wants to be known. I wonder what God is wanting to show you today. I wonder what it would be like to live a life where we wake up every morning and we anticipate the voice of God the presence of God, a move of God in our life where we shift our mindset from where we're scratching and clawing and begging God like I did Dustin, like tell me something, tell me something. And we switched our posture to say, my God's a communicator. He wants to be known by me. I can anticipate that he's speaking to me. I wonder what he's speaking to you this morning. The kingdom of God is revealed. The second thing is the kingdom of God is fruitful. Both of these little seed parables that happen at the end of the scripture that I read are stories of surprise. In the first one, we have a man scattering seed and the seed goes into the ground. I'll point out here that it goes into good soil. We know that because the parable that Dave taught last week taught us that the seed grows and produces a harvest in good soil. So the seed has gone into the ground and then it's day and night and all of these things happen and eventually there's a harvest. Verse 26 says the seed is scattered. In the Greek, it's just like tossed around. It's not scarcely planted, but it's generously tossed around. And then the seed grows through the night and the day. 
So whether the sun is shining down and everything feels bright and beautiful, or whether it feels dark and overcast and it's hard to see, the seed is still growing. Something is happening regardless. And it's also not dependent on the farmer because he's sleeping or he's working. It says that the seed sprouts, verse 28, all by itself. And the farmer doesn't even know how. And then there is this great harvest, the stalk, the head, the full kernel. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like the seed that is growing. And here's the thing that's interesting. The seed has its own schedule. It has its schedule. It's put into the ground for the purpose of harvest, but it has its own schedule. Not the schedule of the farmer, but its own schedule. I was in Hawaii last week and uh, suffering for Jesus, and I was attending a conference. I was attending a conference with a bunch of other preachers and teachers, and, um, you know, and of course, rented a car and was driving around, and, uh, you know, you get to this kind of road, these windy roads, and I got stuck behind this car, and it was probably going about 15 to 20 miles per hour in a 45 mile per hour speed limit. Well, that's, that's irritating, right? And so um, I know that I communicate that I'm super chill. <laughs> that was a joke. I know I'm not super chill. Um, so I'm like behind this car. This is a confession. I'm driving behind this car, and I'm like honking my horn, because I'm just like, dude, just pull over and let us go by, you know? And I'm like, I'm like saying stuff in my car, just like, you know, honking my horn. And then finally, when we go into the straight patch, and I, vroom, I like hit the accelerator. And as I go by, I glance over, of course, to give him a glare, right? And, um, and it's people from my conference, guys. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I felt so ashamed. And I was like, oh, and then I'm asking Jesus to cover my shame. Like, oh, Jesus, make it so they can't see that it's me. You know, but that's a whole other sermon. My point is, I don't really like it when people are not on my schedule. Like, I don't really like it when people don't go at my pace. I'm looking at the 45. I'm looking at the speedometer. I'm like, come on, dude. Like, it's like you could do a, a few, like put your foot down. Like we could go a little faster. You know, like, I don't like it when people are not on my schedule. And I wanna suggest, church, that a lot of the frustration that you and I experience in our spiritual life is when there is a conflict between our schedule and God's schedule. See, the seed has a schedule. I mean, the kingdom of God is doing its thing on its own schedule on its own time. And most of us, that frustrates us because we have questions like, hey God, like, I'd really like it if you speed up this area of my life. This is too slow. Or over here, we're feeling like, God, I needed more time. I don't, I don't know why you did it this way. Like, this was too fast. Like, we, we're caught on these two extremes, right? Where God is just simply not doing things our way. And that is so incredibly frustrating. When I moved into the, the house that I currently live in, I, when we went to go view it, I had this beautiful bougainvillea like vines that grow on the, on the front of it, just gorgeous, bright red flowers. And I remember as we walked up to it, I said to my husband, Brian, I'm just gonna take some photos, just in case we don't move in here. Like, it's just gorgeous, and this is beautiful. We did move in there, 
And for a few months, this plant just bloomed. I mean, it's like my pride and joy. And then it was kind of winter, like late fall, winter. We pruned it back because apparently that's what you're supposed to do. And as the months went on, you know, it looked kind of dead because that's kind of how everything looks in winter. And then it's early spring, and I'm kind of eyes on the plant, and I'm like, nothing's happening. Nothing's growing. Like, I'm, I'm looking at my plant, and I'm starting to panic. So I do what we all do when we're in moments of panic. I turn to YouTube. And I started YouTubing, like, bougainvillea plants, and what should you do? And, you know, I'm trying to gain information. I'm second-guessing myself. I'm thinking, did we prune it too much? Did we not prune it enough? I even went to my neighbors. I said, hey, you guys have lived next door to this house for a while. Can you tell me about my bougainvillea plant? And they looked at me like I was a crazy person. But I was like, I really care. I want this plant. And I'm just sitting there and thinking, what do I need to do? to like speed up or help this thing along. And then one day I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Ruthie, this is exactly what you do in every area of your life. You look at something and you think, how do I need to help Jesus along? <laughs> how do I, what do I need to do in this moment to make it go faster? or to like make it on my schedule. And he's like, you're looking for information, you're reading books and you're doing podcasts and you're asking people and you're second guessing if you should have pruned or shouldn't have pruned and like, but he's like, sometimes it's just that the seed is on a schedule. Can you live with that? Well, that's actually incredibly hard for me to live with, I don't know about you, but like my schedule is often in conflict with God's schedule. I wonder if you're experiencing that in your life right now in this season. Maybe there's something that you just wish God would just like get a move on, do something about. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's just a thing that you're like, God, where are you on this? And you're staring at this like bougainvillea like plant in your life and you're like, what's going on? And there's a panic. And sometimes, friends, it's just that the seed has a schedule. And the invitation for us is to surrender our schedule and say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I know that you are good so I can trust your timing. I wonder where God is asking you to trust in his timing today. The second thing about the seed is that it has a purpose. It has a schedule and it has a purpose. Everything that the seed needs is inside there. Its destiny is to produce a harvest. Its destiny is fruitfulness. There is a purpose at work going on with the seed. It is not just there to lie barren and to produce nothing. The whole very purpose of it is that it will produce a harvest. And sometimes this is hard for us because we get discouraged when the plant's not blooming and when the seasons shift and we don't see things changing and when we've been trusting God but it just seems bare and dry and it's hard to believe, but it's true, that it is God's nature to move you into fruitfulness. It is his nature to move you into fruitfulness. How do I know this? John 15. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
Jesus says, hey, my father, he is a gardener and he prunes for fruit. It's just who he is and what he does. God is committed to fruitfulness in your life. Some of you are looking at your lives right now and you're thinking, I don't see it. I've been waiting. I've been praying. I'm frustrated. Will it ever come? And I can promise you that if the kingdom of God seed is placed into good soil, hearts that lean in and say, God, I don't understand it, but I want you. I don't, I don't see how all the pieces fit together, but I'm here for you. That it will bear fruit in your life. God is committed to your fruitfulness. You don't have to twist his arm. You don't have to convince him. I didn't share this in the first service, but I'm going to share it right now because it just popped into my brain. When I turned 30, um, I, I, had a, I had a two-year-old. I was drowning as a mom, to be quite honest with you. I had suffered with postpartum depression, and I just, I just didn't know how to do this thing. And, um, and I remember 30, sorry for people that are older, but 30 felt really old. It felt really old, okay? When you feel like your life is not going the way that you want it to go, all right? And I remember having this moment with Jesus. We, at the time, we lived on a steep hill, and I was lugging this stroller, you know, like pushing it up this hill, as you do when you live in San Francisco. And I had a child that never slept, and I was just struggling. And then I was about to turn 30. And I was like, God, I, I, just, I just don't get it. My life feels so not fruitful right now. I just feel like I'm drowning. And I remember the Lord said to me, he said, I heard him so clearly, Ruthie, this next decade of your life will be more fruitful than the last. And it was just like, honestly, I can't even tell you that I really engaged my faith around it because it was so hard to grab a hold of in that moment. Because my 20s, I traveled the world and I did ministry and I launched a nonprofit. How could it be possible? But church, it was possible. There was things that God birthed in me in my 30s that I had no clue about. I didn't realize I was passionate about preaching until I was in my mid-30s. That's my favorite thing to do. See, there are things that come when we trust that God's bringing us into fruitfulness. And I feel like there's someone or some people here today that needed to hear that story. That you're looking at your life and you're saying, God, I can't see how this is, is fruitful. I don't know what's going to happen. God is committed to your fruitfulness. There is always a brighter future ahead. There is always more from his kingdom. God is not done with your story. So wherever you feel like you've stalled and wherever you feel like you've plateaued and wherever you feel like you've screwed it up, there is always more for you. Some of you feel like your career has stalled, your relationship situation has stalled, your healing has stalled, and I want you to know that God is committed to your fruitfulness, to harvest, to that good seed bearing fruit in your life. Number three, the kingdom of God is uncontrollable. The final parable Jesus tells here is about a tiny mustard seed that gets planted grows into a large plant, and then these birds come and perch on its branches. At first glance, this story seems like it's simply about the small seed becoming something significant, and that is absolutely part of it. 
You see, in our kingdom, in our world, in our mindset, we have to do big things to make a big impact. We've got to be movers and shakers. We've got to achieve stuff. We've got to get something done, and then something big will happen. But you see, in the kingdom of God, that's not how it works. In the kingdom of God, one small prayer can have significant impact. One small yes, one small act of obedience, one small thing where we just say, okay, God, you can have this thing. It seems so small, but I don't know what you can do with it. One small gift, one small, I'll I'll serve, I guess I'll open my mouth and speak. God will take those small things and multiply them into big things. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. This is why it's so important that Jesus teaches us about the kingdom. He's like, oh, you think you've got nothing to offer? You don't know how my kingdom works. You think that that small act of obedience, that small yes, that financial gift, whatever it is, you think that was small? You don't understand my kingdom. Because in my kingdom, the mustard seed, when put into the ground, produces something so much bigger. That should... Friends, that alone should blow our minds. We should just begin to reflect on our life and say, where are the small places, God? What are the small, insignificant things, which I don't think much on, that you are taking and you are doing something massive with? Because this is where faith kicks in. It says that when I come forward and I kneel on the ground and I simply say, God, I surrender, heaven moves in that moment. Everything shifts. Breakthrough is on its way. It's the small things. But we look at the small things and we go, hmm, just another Sunday. Hmm, just another quiet time. Just another attempt to love that person. Just a, just a, just a. But in the kingdom of God, small things are significant. But here's the other fascinating thing about this passage. Jesus is talking about a mustard plant here. In some parts of scripture, it's referred to as a tree. In this particular passage, it's actually the Greek word for a shrub that is placed in a cultivated garden. Okay, this is important. Because the nature of the mustard plant, in many parts of the world, the mustard plant grows like a weed. Not weird, like a weird, <laughs> like weeds, just to be clear so that my point is not lost here, okay? Not like weird, like weeds. The mustard plant grows like weeds because it just spreads. It's uncontrollable. In fact, at this day and time, there were even guidelines and laws about where you could plant mustard seed because it was considered dangerous. See, this crowd of farmers and people in agriculture, this parable would have been shocking. Because what Jesus is saying is like the kingdom of God, the things of God, the ways of God, the way God moves, it's like a mustard plant, mustard seed put into this beautiful cultivated garden. And they would have gone, well, nobody puts a mustard seed in a cultivated garden, why not? Because that thing takes over. That thing begins to spread. I mean, it's uncontrollable, it's wild. I was chatting with a guy right after first service where I was sharing this story, and he was like, Ruthie, have you ever been around mustard plants? And I was like, I don't don't think so. And he's like, oh, I grew up around them. He's like, you downplayed how wild these plants are. He's like, I grew up around mustard plants, 
And he's like, it was such that on a slightly windy day, you didn't even have to touch the mustard plant and you'd be covered in yellow. Because the mustard seeds, they just begin to fly everywhere. They touch everything, even, even not in the soil where they're planted. It just begins to spread. You see, this is the nature of the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is, oh, you think you know what the kingdom looks like? Or think you think you can put the kingdom on one day of the week and honor it on the Sabbath only? Or you think you can adopt these, the kingdom of God in one area of your life? That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a mustard plant that begins to creep into and touch every part of your life. This is the subversive nature of the kingdom of God. It will take over. It has no boundaries. It will expand and touch everything. It's unimaginable. It transforms the landscape. The kingdom of God is a threat. The kingdom of God is dangerous. You think you can just hold it in one piece of your life? You think you can tuck it into Sunday morning? Oh, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is coming for everything. The kingdom of God will threaten powers and principalities that think they're in control and it'll just swoop right in there and absorb it and take it over. But the kingdom of God also comes for our lives too. The kingdom of God is disruptive. To those of us who would like a nicely cultivated faith with just perfect little edges that we've curated and it looks and sounds really good and Everything's super clear and understandable. The kingdom of God is just tossed in there, disrupts everything. See, Jesus isn't looking for our perfectly cultivated little lives where we've got one little corner for him and one little corner for our relationships and one little corner for our vices and one little corner. He's not interested in that. And this is why it was so shocking to the people at that time. They would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. He's coming for all of it. How do we feel about that level of disruption this morning? Let me ask you this. What is the stuff that you just don't want Jesus touching? I mean, Jesus, you can have all of this and this and that, but this, this one place, don't touch it. Don't ask me to go back and do healing work. Don't go after that relationship. Don't touch my money. Don't ask me to lay down my career. I mean, I got a little box of stuff over here that has a label that says, do not touch Jesus. You're satisfied with everything else, not according to this parable. Jesus is coming for every portion of our life. So let me challenge you this morning. What is in your do not touch box? What is the stuff that you're just hoping that Jesus doesn't see or he forgot about? Because Jesus wants all of our lives, every single piece of them. He died for all of it. There's a beautiful ending to this parable. This little cultivated garden gets taken over by this mustard plant and in its branches, there is somehow now a bird sanctuary. Birds come and hang out in the branches of this mustard plant. I mean, what the heck is going on? These farmers would have been freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, you've taken over everything and now the birds have come? But Old Testament prophets occasionally use the image of birds nesting in branches to allude to the inclusion of Gentiles in God's chosen people. See, Jesus is hinting at grace right here. He's like, I, I know that you think you know what the kingdom is about, but my kingdom's gonna disrupt 
and it's going to take over. But you know what it also is? It is a sanctuary for those that you think are on the outside. It is a place of refuge for, yes, Gentiles and Jews, but the marginalized and the outcast and the outsiders and the people that think that they don't belong and the disqualified, all of those. My kingdom is a place where all of them can flock and find refuge and safety. So the kingdom of God is both a threat and a danger to all our places of control, but it's also a welcome sanctuary and refuge for those that just feel like they're on the outside. This is the kingdom of God that Jesus came to show us and to teach us about. The kingdom of God is revealed, the kingdom of God is fruitful, and the kingdom of God is uncontrollable. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up and we're just gonna move into a time of response. Maybe you are here this morning and you're just like, I don't know that kind of God that wants to be known. I've heard all my life that he knows me, but I don't know him. The kingdom of God is revealed in Jesus. Jesus wants you to know him. Maybe the invitation for you this morning is to just enter in and say, Jesus, it's hard for me to believe, but but I'm gonna trust that you wanna be known by me. Show me yourself. Maybe you are facing a season right now, you're just feeling it's really fruitless. You don't see the harvest. Maybe you have been tilling the ground on something for a long time and you haven't seen the shift. And you have been asking God, what do I need to do to help this thing along? And it is possible that for some of us here, the answer is the seed is a schedule. And there is an invitation to trust him surrender our timeline, our agenda, our our pace, and say, God, I'm gonna trust you in this. I'm gonna trust that the purpose is to bear fruit in my life, that you've not forgotten about me, that the seed is not just tossed down with no intention, but God, your intention is to bear fruit in my life and through my life. And maybe for some of you this morning, the invitation is a challenge to allow God to disrupt some things that you have been holding, tucked away in your do not touch box. And Jesus is just like, I came for all of it. I want your whole life. We're gonna move into a response. If you're able to, I wanna invite you to go ahead and stand.